Hey everyone, Marty Schneider here from Breaking Mayberry. I uh, just want to give a quick heads up slash apology. The audio quality for the episode you're about to hear is not great. Completely my fault. Tried some settings, uh, made a mistake, did not work out. So it gets a little echoey in places like where D uh, Dan is talking. But other than that, it's a pretty good episode. We get into some weird wild shit in this one. Uh, this is also an episode where we talk a lot about cannabis. So, uh... Maybe if you light up now, uh, the echo will be enhanced. It will enhance your listening experience. I don't know. Other than that, thanks for listening. Thanks for everybody who's tweeted at us or uh, subscribed or listened so far. We appreciate all of you. And uh, we'll sound a little better next time. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show where two guys Try to learn a little bit about America and ourselves through the magic of the Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> it's more and more wholesome every time. <laughs> I'm really working on it. It's, it's kind of like a false sense of security. Like, I want people to listen to be like, oh, what a wonderful family show. And then we just blindside them with like... <laughs> with just... Swears and F-bombs and like, socialism and... Yeah. <laughs> just coax them into three seconds of like, of, of security before I just start just spewing nightmare yeah. language. You need the comfort of that round NPR sound. Yeah. So. That's also, like, I pretty much have about three seconds of that in my voice. Uh, I'm Marty Schneider. I'm Dan Ludwig. And we have a special guest with us today. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Russ Smith. I am a freelance writer. And I'm on the show today because in the process of my work, I learn a lot about cannabis. Yeah. So, why did we bring on a cannabis aficionado, a cannabis researcher, uh, onto our wholesome uh, 1960s television program? Well, that's because today's episode of The Andy Griffith Show deals with another once federally prohibited substance. It's a it's a, a, a really weird, like, like, perfect view of what an actual attitudes were towards prohibition. Like... Well, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. We're doing, so the episode that we're doing today, episode 17 of season one, is called Alcohol and Old Lace, directed by Gene Reynolds, so we're off of the Bob Sweeney train for a little bit. Uh, this is the first time I this think... This isn't a Sweeney episode? It's not a Sweeney. This is the first time we've seen Gene. Holy shit, this is like... It's weird, because this smacks of Sweeney so much. Yeah, no, it seems like one of his shticks, but uh, yeah, so here's... I wonder, I wonder if it was a situation where this uh, gentleman, Gene... Where, where Gene, like, watched the episodes up to this one and was, like, trying to mimic the style. Yeah, and well, and in the process, took it wildly off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it is an Ellison Stewart joint. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so Charles Stewart and Jack Ellison wrote this one, as they've written, like, the majority of the ones we've done so far. When so. you when you want a batshit Andy Griffith episode, accept no substitutes. They're your guys. <laughs> They're your guys. Yeah. All right. So uh, this aired January thirtieth, nineteen sixty one, and in this, this is the first time that it is revealed that Mayberry is in a dry county, and this becomes a big plot point. Uh, as always, I'll do our one sentence Wikipedia summary. Two spinster sisters point Andy and Barney in the direction of local moonshiners. 
dot, dot, dot. But the spinsters are moonshiners too. God damn it, man! They gave well, we told everyone to watch it beforehand. But yeah, the one hundred percent gives away the awesome fucking twist. Yes, like like I said before, this is one hundred percent like a season one episode of Justified. Like it mm. is, it is, it has. Oh the, yeah, I thought of that. It has the Justified twist, like. Yeah. It, like it has like like small town uh like sheriffs hunting down moonshiners in the hills of uh of Appalachia but, but then there's a twist that the uh the mild mannered mem- like upstanding members of society turn out to be the criminals too like it's that's a fucking episode of justified so let's talk about this before we before we start breaking down the episode uh so I went ahead and looked some stuff up so yeah this is a revelation that Mayberry is a dry county and remember this episode airs in January 30th, 1961. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not that unusual that in the South there would be dry counties in the 60s. I looked it up. There's still like a couple hundred all throughout the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, most yep. most famously, uh, Mason County uh, in Kentucky, where Jack Daniels is manufactured. Right. Is it, yeah, mm-hmm. Jack Daniels is made in a dry county. You cannot drink Jack Daniels from the distillery you have to go to the next county over. I thought they had, county. like, a special rule about that. Like, you could have samples in the building, but Maybe. I think that was it. Uh, they had, like, a special system to let their employees drink. Like, I remember yeah. that there's, like, they have some some convoluted, like, like way to, to basically sneak around that rule. I think they might give their employees, like, vouchers for, like, neighboring counties or something like that. Yes. But, so, it, so it's not that weird that Mayberry would be in a dry county, although there's really only one dry county in all of North Carolina. Yeah. And also, like... Moonshining and like bootleg like liquors is a plot point all throughout the seventies and eighties. Most famously, the Dukes of Hazard. Mm. However, however, I think in this particular case. Oh, and by the way, if you look at the Wikipedia entry for uh, Dry County and you look at in popular culture, it's just a paragraph about the Andy Griffith Show. I think that they had to make Mayberry a Dry County. In order to continue this weird theme that we picked up on, where it's the 1960s, but also the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the that's the common theme with Mayberry, is that it's a weird, it's anachronistic for its own time. I mean, it also sort of plays into the um, the theme that, that, that goes back to the, the first episode, which is uh, you, the Andy Griffith show needs play crime. And... But like like Andy Griffith is a cop, so he needs to every now and then solve a uh, solve a crime or catch a criminal. But it can't be anything real. Like it can't he can't catch a murderer or like like an actual person doing like any sort of violent crime or any real harm on another person because it's the Andy Griffith show. There can't be any actual consequences. And it would break the illusion that the South is this you know un, you know yeah. untrammeled beautiful. Prelapsian place. This, this Eden, <laughs> yes. like like of, of, of pre-racial America, like so they needed like a uh, a crime that was basically just dudes want to drink in the mountains, like a, a crime that they needed a Harmless. crime that doesn't hurt anybody, and moonshining is perfect for that. Yeah, it, it definitely serves the purpose. So let's yeah. let's dive into the episode. All right, so we open up with Andy visiting Floyd the barber. Uh, and makes a big joke that, ha, he's amazed that Floyd got his sideburn even for once in his damn life. 
how has another barber not opened up? Like, it is a barber who is openly, like, the subject of constant open malice by everyone who leaves his chair. Like, no one gets out of the chair and is, like, it, it, like is just amazed that their head isn't currently on fire. Like... <laughs> Blood, blood, I'm not bleeding, so, uh, you know, good job today, I guess. Yeah, like, and Floyd will, like, advertise to you, be like, oh, hey, I'm the only barber in town. I'm terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm really bad at it. And he to hide it. Yeah, he's like, so you'll be like, oh, Floyd, you're a terrible barber. And he's like, yep, you got nowhere else to go. Monopoly. Like, <laughs> and he's so proud of his new technique. Yeah. He's developed this technique of measuring on his comb, like, yes. to get your sideburns the right. That's that's your setting, he says. He, he reverse-engineered measuring. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he invented measuring like a caveman inventing fire. I also want to point out that, like, even though he does put his comb up to Andy's ear and to, like, measure the sideburn and be like, that's going to be your mark, he never, like, takes a pen or a knife or anything and makes a mark in the comb. So he's going to forget that immediately. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I trust Floyd to remember any sort of a measurement about as far as I can fucking throw him. Like, he... That weird zany tie flying in the room. I love Floyd's ties. We should just have a moment of appreciation for his weird, like, dumbass art deco fucking weird things. I can't I wait have, other in color. I haven't noticed his They're art deco ties. Yes. Uh, Weirdest character. He's so strange. Yeah. He really feels like he came from a different show. Yeah. No, he he, he feels like something out of, like, like the, the 70s. Like, the kind of weird-ass character that shows up, like... Yeah, he like, feels like he should have, like, a dynamite catchphrase. Yeah. yeah. Like, alright, so... But none of this is relevant. Yeah, to no, no. It's just setting up. And then Barney comes trenching in, like, in full-on manhunt mode. Um... <laughs> He's got his, like, authority boner just all ready to go uh, because he's very excited. And he tells Andy that he, be, he came this close, this close to shutting down the moonshining epidemic in Mayberry forever. He's, like, really, like, this is his big case. He's ready to shut it down. Yeah, I mean, it's the only crime that they can do. Yeah. So he's like, yeah. like, oh, we got a chance to do... At, like any police work whatsoever again. Hell yeah! We have a chance to justify our existence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Andy asks what his uh, his big lead was. Right? Barney figures out that there's a distillery out of town, uh, closer to Ben Sewell's place. No, no, he doesn't know it's Ben Sewell's place yet. He knows that there's a distillery out on the edge of town, and he knows this because he watched Otis walk away up the hill. Sober, and then come stumbling back drunk an hour later. Okay, the first thing I don't totally understand about this episode, which it's it's been established in previous episodes that Barney Fife can follow around whoever the fuck he feels like. Mm -hmm. He follows around just a, a stranger in town the entire day just on the basis of he's weird. Yeah. Uh, so he can clearly just like like follow anybody, do anything. Why is there not constantly a man on Otis? Why? <laughs> What? My, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this is outside of Mayberry city limits. Maybe no, because then they have no ability to enforce the law there. They can't go and arrest the still owner. Oh, and I guess I, they are county sheriff. So yeah, mm. no, just like literally, Otis is a one man crime wave. He is he is he he is basically a human dousing rod for any alcohol whatsoever in the entire dry county. So just like if you if like. Just put Barney on Otis. Just have him constantly follow him around. He has this, like, uh, this justice erection that he needs to wave all the time. 
Like, if you just put him on Otis and have him follow him around all day, he'll just, like, pick up the crimes after Otis does them and won't be, like, giving parking tickets to eight-year-olds. Like, or whatever the fuck Barney ticket, Barney five yeah. does all day. And I was gonna say, like, yeah, isn't this in a time before, like, police harassment? <laughs> yeah, no, this was before any sort of a standard on how police should behave. Like, we've, we've marveled continuously at, like, the illegality of stuff that Barney and Andy do. And it was, uh, this was before just there were any sort of standards whatsoever over what a, uh, like, over what an, uh, you expected from a police officer. It was just entirely on the, the police officer's character. Okay. Which, which society had an absolutely, uh, apparently from this show, 100% absolute unshakable faith in. They were like, every police officer is Andy Griffith, therefore he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Because the average American is not a student of American history, I guess. <laughs> yeah! Which I think is definitely something we have not been able to shake. It's like, yeah. like, I think on a fundamental level, there's just a shitload of people who are like, well, all cops are Andy Griffith, and, you know, Andy Griffith only breaks the law when he super duper has to, so... Which is not true. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> he breaks a lot when he feels like it. Yeah, whenever when he... it can, it, whenever it conflicts with his personal sense of what <laughs> should happen or what the best possible outcome could be. Yeah. For Andy, specifically. Yes. <laughs> For uh, Andy, just when Andy, whenever Andy doesn't particularly want to explain something to someone, just breaks the law just to be safe. Like, uh, okay, so. Let's get into the actual plot of the episode. So outside of the barbershop are two little old ladies. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go on, I wanted to ask about the witch hazel. Oh, right, right. So, uh, for clarification, at some point after... What the fuck is the witch hazel? After Floyd gets done shaving up Andy, uh, Andy says, or he asks Andy something like, would you like a little witch hazel? And... And he says, sure. Which I guess is like aftershave, probably. Yeah, I'm and guessing then, it's aftershave. And then and then the joke is that Floyd just keeps on applying it, just slapping it on his face, just keeps on putting it all over. And Andy has to finally be like, nah, nah, hold on, I can't be getting too adorable now. So I guess it's just like old-timey aftershave, but like, witch hazel, I'm pretty sure I have some in my bathroom right now. It's like an, it's like an astringent, like a disinfectant. He, he acts about, like, taking witch hazel like he's about, like... Like, like it's Floyd, an indulgence. Yeah, like, Floyd offers yeah. him a slice of chocolate cake. Like, he's yeah. like, oh, I, you know what? I've been, I'm gonna be bad. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do some witch hazel. I'm gonna get some witch hazel. It's my cheat day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you I know, get some witch hazel, would y'all get some witch hazel? Is what's going on this? I've been so good lately. Just a, just a little witch hazel. I deserve this. <laughs> and, and it's like a recurring gag. So when he steps outside to talk to these old ladies, the Morrison sisters, one of them comments that they could smell the witch hazel like they knew that he'd just gotten a haircut because of that. I don't think I'll, but like, it, it's a weird thing that must just be, like, lost to time of what the fuck was the deal with witch hazel back then. Yeah, I don't understand it either. So, I th- like, maybe we're just overthinking it. It's just, it was weird, and I wanted to bring it up. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Welcome to the show. It. You fit in. <laughs> yeah, so, so yes. these two old women are sitting outside, they're standing outside of the barbershop, uh, and... One of them, uh, so these are two, their names are um, Clarabelle and Jennifer Morrison. And I'm, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and read their actresses' names as well, because as always, they're fucking great. Hell yes. Uh, their names are Gladys Hurlbut. <laughs> <laughs> yes! And, 
And definitely not her real ass name, Charity Grace. Oh. Plays Jennifer Morris. Oh my. Charity Grace is like, yeah, yeah that, that name was designed, designed in a lab. Not her real name. Like, so. I've met a person named Charity, not with the last name of Grace, though. Yeah. Wait, is it Charity or Charity? Charity. Charity. Char- okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, Give me the first one again. Gladys Hurlbut. Oh my god, inject who that probably, name directly into my veins. Who probably has like seven Tony Awards, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the prodigious Hurlbut acting family. Hurlbut family. Yes. <laughs> of the North End, not the South End Hurlbut, yeah. obviously. Yes. Just, do you know who I am? I'm a Hurlbut. I, I'm wondering if it was like the name was Halibut, but it got... Like Flanderized yeah. in Ellis Island, yeah, yeah. And just by a the, the guard that day was drunk, so he was just like hurled it. Okay, so does it sound so like anything? Two, God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> these two women are standing outside uh, discussing what they're going to do because they need to say something very urgent to the sheriff. But one of them is very, very proper and says, "No lady goes into a barber shop." Like these women are doing, like. I'm doing much more proper. They're doing like uh, oh, you nail it. They're doing like like Frodo Emma's like almost on the on the verge of that. The weird old lady draw. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and so the older, I guess, more sensible sister says, "We're going to wait outside." And the younger, in, in a relative term, yeah. sister here uh, is very upset because she's a little boy crazy, is how it's described. Yeah. So the two of them. Wait outside for Andy to get outside. When they do, uh, when he does, uh, they meet and they tip him off. Uh, and our our younger sister flirts with Andy a little bit. That's the line about the witch hazel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tip him off that they know where a distillery is. Barney, of course, dismisses him immediately because Barney says, "Oh, I'm already on it." Oh, they're both super smug about it. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're <laughs> so excited. Oh, we've got some advice for you. I know where there may be somebody making some evil spirits. It feels like like there's constantly old ladies wandering Mayberry, and they're like these trickster spirits. Like, like maybe I have a riddle for you, Andy Griffith. Maybe it will help you out. Maybe it will drive you insane. Like just between a bit between Aunt B, these old ladies, and Emma, there's just like like it's like Loki is just wandering town. Every single woman in this in this city is one of the three witches from Macbeth. Like, yeah. yeah! They tip Andy and Barney off about this distillery that they know is run by Ben Sewell uh, out of town, and they've seen it with their own two eyes, and that's what uh, gets Andy to say, hey, Barney, shut up and listen to these two for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they go and they work on this, uh, on this lead because these two fine, upstanding citizens have tipped them off to this. And so they go out to the edge of the town. The next scene, we see Barney and Andy, like, hiding in the wood behind a rock, looking out at uh, this guy, Ben Sewell, played by Jack Prince, who, by the way, this guy rules. They got, he is, yeah. like, the proto-hillbilly. Like, he is the, yeah. he is the hillbilly from which all other hillbillies sprouted. Like, it's so, like, just overalls. Or fully like, formed from his overalls. It's amazing. Yeah, they, they just, yeah, like, like, he pollinated, like, one, like, overalls, like, sideways hat, one tooth the size of a watermelon, like... Yeah. There's no corncob pipe in this, but, it, like, you know it's around. Like, you know that they, like, they kept growing out of his mouth, and they, like, props department just had to, like, keep taking yeah. them away. 
There's the sousson of corncob pipe in the air. Yes! <laughs> a thick fog of corncob. Upon seeing Andy and Barney, this gentleman fire, just takes out his, his rifle and just begins firing at them. Barney wants to draw his gun. Yeah! That's true. Barney wants to go in gun blazing like he always does. Yeah. And then he's given a reason to, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Griffith still doesn't have a gun. Which, like, they are, they're doing a raid, and Andy Griffith still aggressively doesn't have a gun, which I, I'm sort of on board for, because fuck yeah, cop not having gun, awesome. I mean, it's kind of a thing, like, where you don't want to go into any situation because you have a gun that you wouldn't go into if you were unarmed. They just using the better part, discretion is the better part of valor. Yeah. Um, no, again, he's still using, like, the, this is... Still, the best part of Andy Griffith that is that that is on show here of he doesn't use a gun. He's literally just walking in on the on the basis of like good faith, good faith, knowing the guy, like yeah. basically being willing to put himself at risk and just talk the situation out, regardless of the consequences of that. But he is shot at, and eventually he yells, "Hey, it's us! It's, it's calm down!" Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so. Uh, when they when they call out of the woods, yeah. they just get shot at. Right. Yeah, they, they, they basically say like like Hey, we're coming in there, and then gunfire. Like, so they go in, and Ben. This is this is a good line and a good discussion. It's probably it's why we brought you on, Rush, uh, for this little discussion right here, where um, Ben, upon seeing them, says, "Oh, I'm glad to see it's you guys. I thought you were the law." The, yeah. yeah, the parallels between this scene and a fucking, like, like a, a raid, like a drug raid, is crazy. Because, like, there, it, is, it, it sort of feels like... See, for me, it's the contrast between this scene yeah. and a drug raid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I should say contrast. Let me give the setup here. Uh, ben says that, I thought you guys were the law. And Barney, of course, takes offense and says, what do you think this is? Like, and Ben says, no, I meant, like, the federal law. Y'all are, like, local. You're not the real law. You're a federal law. Yeah, he was, they, I shot, I tried to shoot you in the head because I thought you were a federal agent. Yes. Like, that's his, like, I tried to, I tried to decorate the forest with your skull viscera because I thought you were a different level of law, man. And it's played for laughs. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's the truth. So, yeah. like, and that's, that's kind of, so we brought this on because, like, some of the stuff that we're talking about here is not that dissimilar from, like, a Canada no. situation. Especially when we're talking about federal uh, versus, like, state versus, like, local level, like, yeah. ruling. Which is why we brought you on, Russ. So, what do you got? So, um, like, obviously there's there's a split between state law and federal law in a lot of states. Um, the, the federal law is very much like cannabis is a Schedule One narcotic, and that's it. That's the end of story. It's illegal. You can't own it. You can't transport it. You can't use it. You can't sell it. You can't grow it. No. And then you've got states which have legalized and said, okay, you can grow it for medical purposes or you can grow it for recreational purposes somehow. Um, and there's this legal gray area between where states' law and federal law conflicts. Um, and that gray area is covered by things like the Cole Memo, or was until fairly recently. Um, the Cole Memo was a 2013 memo by the Deputy Attorney General um, uh, in, in Obama years that said prosecutors should not, should go after very specific things. Prosecutors should be looking at companies that go across state lines, any, you know, organizations that try to sell to children, basically go after the worst of the marijuana industry 
but otherwise use your discretion. And that's been viewed as like this fairly substantial barrier. Now, it was rescinded um, a few months ago. Uh, further complicating the legal area, gray area. And the reason that we haven't seen like major cannabis crackdowns is because uh, Congress keeps putting this uh, amendment onto the congressional spending bills saying that you cannot spend, the Justice Department cannot spend money prosecuting cannabis cases. So they don't have the money to do it. So it all exists in this, the, 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 the parallel that exists to prohibition is that prohibition, it was also federally illegal, but it was more down to the state officiants to manage that. That's why you have Elliot Ness and the IRS getting into the business of breaking up alcohol sellers, illegally, illegal alcohol sellers. Um, because like that, it, they needed to enforce federal law because the state bodies wouldn't do it. We have a parallel today with the DEA needing to enforce federal law in those states where the state folks won't do it. And so, and so Mayberry is in a dry county. Right. right so you're also talking about county-level, municipal-level police versus, or law enforcement versus the statewide terminology, which yes. is another thing that North Carolina got, got into a situation with very recently, a couple of years ago, the transgender bathroom bill, quote-unquote. The reason why that even became an issue in North Carolina State is because the North Carolina state lawmakers were trying to uh, override and rescind a bill of protection to transgender individuals that was passed in Charlotte. The state level was fighting to override the citywide municipal level codes uh, and then eventually were like brought to court and overridden at the federal level or that still continues. There's a lot of different things going on here, and it's played just for a simple joke at uh, the expense of Andy and Barney, who are not, quote-unquote, the real law. But they are. They're the real law. See, I, I, I sort of inter- like, kind, kind of got, got a, a sort of a smack of, uh, of like corruption on it, because he, he, doesn't say, he, he doesn't just say that they're not the real law. He, he refers to them as sort of not police. Like, and he, like he, no one in this town takes at least Barney seriously as a cop. Yeah, but also, like, I think the the, the sort of thing was there, there's sort of the implication of that Andy Griffith would like turn the other cheek. Yeah, look like, the other way. Yeah, that like, you're still operating. Like he would have if he thought Andy Griffith was someone that would enforce the law in this situation. He would have blown his head clean off. Ben actually is surprised that he's getting arrested too. Yeah. yeah. His, his... He, he offers them a drink, which is the funniest part. <laughs> yeah. Says, Would you like a nip? I got, I got some good stuff. He's gonna give them the good stuff. It's almost like, uh, like it, it, it sort of feels like the the show is like happening for the first time. So Andy is like, "Come on, man. There's cameras this time. I got to arrest you. Like, we're on a TV show now. I have to, I have to take you in. I have to do this. Shut yeah. Up. Shut, Shut the, the fuck up and just come to jail. Shut up. We're going to let you out almost immediately. You Our, know how this goes. The keys are literally by the jail cell. You can leave any time. I'm this just going to make you listen to me play the guitar <laughs> for a couple of minutes. This whole scene sort of feels like how pro-drug war people see the drug war. In yeah. that it's it's completely, it, it, it's it's almost a, a transaction. Yes. Like, it is. It's like it, the end of heat. Like, like, we're not so different, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's an like the, the war on drugs feels like an it's an arrangement because it's a guy who who just wants something he wants a way to have a good time he uh, he takes a risk uh, 
as a, as a result of wanting to have a good time. And when the cops show up, he's arrested. But it's no hard feelings. Like, yeah. He's just like, well, I took this calculated risk for wanting to get drunk. Take me to jail. And and there's, there's no hard feelings. So it sort of feels like this is the vision for how the war on drugs is, where it's just sort of like... They, they almost maybe see it as sort of like fake crime, like fun Andy Griffith crime. like. And that's the economic dynamic that exists in like the Emerald Triangle, or did until recently. Uh, the Emerald Triangle being Northern California's like pot-growing center. Um, that it was a lot of blatantly illegal black market grows, even under California's medical mm. system, um, that would sell to the medical markets because the, they weren't tracking it close enough to make it not possible. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> you get this whole ecosystem that builds up of, like, people going out into, like, national park woods, like, wherever they can think they can get away with setting up an outdoor grow and not getting it raided. And setting things up, and then selling into the legal market. And they will shoot you if you accidentally stumble upon that ground. They will. That's why uh, being a forest ranger is so dangerous. Um, and uh, actually, so just in the news this like past few days, um, there was this big crackdown on an operation actually outside of Sacramento in Hungro sort of territory um, that was largely funded by Chinese dark money, where the Chinese businessmen there'll be a man who takes care of the money. There'll be a man who takes care of the lease, and then there'll be a guy who sets up the Chinese farmer to come in and grow. And so it's these old Chinese farmers in their 50s and 60s get approached, and it's like you're at the, near the end of your life. You can go to America and make a buttload of money. Holy shit. Yeah. And so the feds knock down the door, AR-15 raised. I mean, that, that's just creating jobs for immigrants. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and take these guys who don't speak English... And when they, even when they get a Mandarin translator into the room, the guys won't say anything. Because it's like, yeah, my family's back home and my family will suffer the consequences. Holy fuck. Yeah. Drug trade can get nasty. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> so, surprise. So, so, so I, guess, I guess the takeaway from this, if you take away nothing, is that drug, the drug trade is not the way it's portrayed on the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. But again, like, I feel like it's sort of like how it uses it because like, there's no... But See, it, there, it, there's it, no it's scene how, of... It's how people who are not, like, read up on it, or people who are not involved, who never have to think about this, how they think it goes. Yeah. There's no scene of Ben Sewell's wife going, like, where are you taking him? We need him! <laughs> and it, there's no scene of him going, like, wait, like, they, they that say... That still is how I eat in the winter, you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> there, there's no scene of, like, of, of them saying, like, we're gonna bust up your still, and him going, like, okay, well, without that income, I'm completely ruined. Like... And, and in, like, in, like, the backwoods of Appalachia, like, yeah. that's entirely possible, like... If there were jobs in Mayberry, this dude wouldn't be running a still. He's not running it for fun. Yeah. It, it yeah. looks like he's having fun. But I mean, he, he is probably having fun doing it because it's moonshine. But, like, he is also, like, they don't show, like, they, they, it's like they show the bare skeleton of someone getting, getting arrested for a controlled substance, and they show absolutely none of the human carnage that happens around it. I mean, to be fair, because none of that is funny. Like, yeah, yes. but but this is like how these this is how these people fucking imagine the war on drugs. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, it's cops and robbers. It's fun. Yeah. And like, yet, it's it's also worth pointing out that not all black market growths are that sinister. Yeah. Like you know, that's just one economic system that resulted from it. But it's it's vastly more complicated than that. 
that. And, like, there are definitely, like, people who just, like, oh, you know, they started home growing. Yeah. And then, you know, growing in their basement, and then it expanded and started selling to their friends, and then it expanded and expanded, and now they've got this business. Well, hold, hold, hold that thought, because yeah. I want to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. that again, you know, in a couple minutes. So, um, so they bring in Ben, uh, and they lock him up, uh, and they believe that everything they did it we busted the big uh, moonshine peddler in this town but then the morrison sisters come around and be like no you didn't yeah <laughs> they, they're fucking like informants like yeah they snitch like crazy yeah uh, and and that's gonna like we're gonna bring that up in a minute too. yeah that's also <laughs> worth talking about yeah uh so they they come in they they snitch and they let him know that there's another uh moonshiner uh, by the name of Rube Sloan, uh, who is uh, somewhere outside. And so, by the way, we should talk about, is it now that Barney starts bragging about destroying the still? Or is, it, is that in the next scene? I think it was the next scene. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah. they're tipped off by the Morris assistant. Oh. Which, by the way, neither of them question. Neither of them are like, hey, you just brought us two still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. At least they do, though. They're like, because Andy asks, like, how do you know this? They, they give some fortune excuse, like, oh, we go we... on walks. We, we oh, we, you know, old ladies, we go on prolonged hikes through the mountains of Appalachia. We we just we do like our nice afternoon forest walks. They're, they're constitutional. Yeah, they take a constitutional. So that that's their bullshit claim. But Barney and Andy go and check it out, and uh, we don't see this raid. All we see is them bringing uh, Rube in, and they and Rube points out. I'm sorry, and Barney points out that. Uh, they have two moonshiners in the jail now, and they might have a jail raid. And that's when Rube sees Ben and goes, You you put them up to this, you snitch. It's a really dumb leap of logic for Rube. What? Yeah. Really? Because if I saw, like, if I saw my primary competitor in jail as I was being led into jail, I would be like, Okay, well, you clearly decided to take me down oh, that's with true. you. Roll. You roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like, they gave you a lighter sentence, they're taking me in, uh, they're taking me in too. And, and more like, you want you get out here, you don't want me to have taken all of your business, so you roll on me too, so we're both going to walk back out to a vacuum. We should we should take a step back uh, and uh, point out that by this point in time, they've revealed to the audience the Morrison sisters' secret. Immediately yes. after they Immediately after they told him about Rube uh, and Barney and Andy leave, that's when the Morrison sisters go back to their business. Now, they run the local florist shop. Yeah. So they run the flower shop, and they have been hiding their bootleg liquors inside of flower delivery. So inside of vases and stuff and bouquets with uh, mason jars full hiding inside there. Now, they put out their moral like explanation for this is that you know, we're not like those other bootleggers. They just sell liquor for guzzling. We drink, we only sell high quality elixirs for special occasions. And so like part of their business model is they make people give them a reason, like an excuse, a uh, uh, to purchase uh, the liquors. Which that's not how that works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not parking. It doesn't. The rules don't change on Sundays and holidays. Wait, it, 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 uh, is God not watching on certain special occasions? Like, is that their fucking logic? I just, do, do the rules change on holidays? Is Memorial Day weekend like the frickin' purge? It was maybe this was like the rules on like during Prohibition times where it was like like Elliot Ness rolled up and he was like, 
you're lucky it's the 4th of July or I'd take you in right here. God damn you, Al Capone. I had you dead to rights, but it's fucking Columbus Day. But... But it is like they, they really make a care to be like, we're upstanding citizens who just have. It's very similar to even Russ. I, I don't know if you want to do it now or if you want to do it like later, but we're talking about like weed moms. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, and well, weed see, moms. I. Well, you know what a wine mom is? Yes. There you go. <laughs> it, it, it's, the fuck, it's the TV show Weeds, but yeah, in it's, real life. It's oh, a okay. combination of like, you know, this sort of entrepreneurial do it yourself, go, grow at home. Mm-hmm. Like outlook, and but it's also got this this great parallel in the marijuana advocacy field because it's like the same sort of like idea of like oh well we can't just have marijuana because it's fun and it's harmless we have to have it because it treats diseases mm-hmm. which like okay sure both of those things are true I kind of wish we didn't have to make the one argument first to get to the other but that's just the society we live in. Well, I was thinking more specifically about the line of like. Now, like, white suburban moms getting, like, into grow businesses. Yeah. Uh, where, as, like, a side, almost like, like like they're selling fucking Tupperware. Yeah. But, and this has become an acceptable thing now in, like, higher class parts of uh, the Denver suburbs or, uh, like. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, like, men who, you know, have, who have small convictions for possession are still in jail for it. Yes. I mean, the, the whole thing sort of smacks of elitism in that, like, you have these two old ladies who are like, we just do this for fun. We're not like those lowly people who do this for a living. Like, we don't need to do this to survive, so we're fine. It's definitely a class thing. We can't say it's a race thing, even though, like, in the real world parallels, it's definitely yes, a race thing. Definitely. We can't say it's a race thing because there's no black people in... Uh, maybe yet. Yes. <laughs> Season two, first black person shows up. Do they do anything? No. Okay. <laughs> they look at a car. All right. All right. Um. But you're you're right about that. That there is this like split between like the people who consider themselves like upstanding, legitimate people, and the actual consequences, the the fallout of the drug war. That there the, the, all... the, the two people that that. Andy locks up the two people that actually serve time are like the lower class citizens who are like farmers on the outskirts of town. And frankly, cartoon yeah. hillbillies with, with like like not able to afford shirts to go under their overalls. Like yeah, like the picture of cartoon poverty. Yes, like, the people who are doing this for subsistence, i.e., black people getting arrested for drug offenses. Yes, <laughs> they they are so they are barely in terms of cartoonish characters of poverty one step above like a barrel. Like, yeah. like they, yeah. the, the the props department nicks the barrel at the last second. So Barney brings in Rube, and Rube sees Ben, and uh, you know believes that Ben ratted him out. But once he's convinced otherwise, he then starts to like like shake down Barney for to find out who snitched. Yeah, uh, and he's just like, was it blank? Was it blank? And Barney just. Instead of leaving like Barney should have done, Barney's like, you're not getting anything out of me. I'm Barney Fife. <laughs> so I'm a steel trap. And then eventually he gets to the point where Rufus goes, well, no one else has been around my house except for those Morrisons. <gasps> From and Barney's reaction. Yeah, exactly. And Bar- yeah, once Barney, like, which his face so special. So yeah, why Barney, got he, those, Barney got those women killed. Basically. Why did he not take his just, just take his face away from the jail cell? Like, just leave. He man. was so determined to prove his 
steely like demeanor yeah. that he was like, I'm gonna put my face right up to your face so that you can see every flinch of it. Yeah, so Barney absolutely reveals that it was the Morrison sisters that were snitches. Yeah, so gets those two women killed, basically. Yeah, if yeah. this were the wire, they would be in garbage bags in the river tonight. They're dead. They're yeah. Garbage <laughs> garbage. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is like, again, in a weird Andy Griffith way, a perfect illustration of why you don't snitch because it, because modern police are full of fucking Barney Fifes. Now, speaking of snitches, <laughs> Opie. Oh my god. We forgot that Opie's in this episode. Yeah. The biggest snitch in Mayberry. Opie, the human loudspeaker. <laughs> the... So, Opie is the one who figures out who... Opie's the best detective in the entire show, apparently. Oh, uh, yeah, he Opie, he out... doesn't realize anything. Yeah. He finds out who the uh, real moonshiners are because he goes to the florist because he wants, like, some flowers to give to his teacher that the teacher's mad at him for some unknown reason he can't play at recess. Some dumb 60s kid shit. Yeah. yeah. As is always the case with Opie. Opie broke a kid's nose or one of the savage things that Opie does. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I have no doubt that Opie 100% deserves whatever punishment his teacher's giving him. He asks the old ladies who run the flower shop if he can have some flowers, and they say, sure, but don't go in the hothouse when it gets to the greenhouse, because yep. uh, that's where our special flowers are, which when you tell a child that, they're going immediately to the hothouse. They use, like, the, they, yeah. they, they say don't and special, like, yes. <laughs> within rap, like, that's, like, just, just spray fucking, like, like, candy all over it while you're at it. Yeah, honestly, there's no faster way to get him there. Don't, Don't go in that forbidden special room that I just threw a candy necklace into. <laughs> so we go back to the jailhouse where um, Barney and Andy are celebrating that they finally like cracked down on, on moonshining in this town. And in the county. In the county, yeah. It's like, hey, we've we've eliminated two still operators, so that's the whole county. <laughs> and then and then Otis wanders in drunk and just locks himself up and is like Hey, be sure to wake me up in a couple of days. Like, he knows what he's gonna do. Otis, like, well, I'm drunk. Uh, did we, we, and I guess, I guess we've already seen the scene of Otis buying. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so Otis has a pretty good scene where uh, he goes to the uh, Morrison Morrison sisters, and uh, he tries to buy booze, and they say, "Oh, it's not a holiday today." And Otis then proceeds to try to invent a holiday for them. Wait, shit, was the line uh, he, the founding of Mayberry? No, no, it's not even the founding of Mayberry. He asks, do you know when Sir Walter Raleigh first landed in Virginia? Uh, and <laughs> they say, no. And he's like, it's today. Yes. <laughs> today. That's what happened. It's a real funny. Uh, it's Hal yes. Smith who plays Otis uh, fucking sells it. By the way, I really want to... Uh, I want to back up a little bit. During the raid scene, I uh, want to give Earl Hagen, our composer, credit again. As always, the music in this show is really good as, the, as they're, like, sneaking up on it. It's it it a little Miami Vice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and I'll probably play it in the background of this, but yeah, I was always want to give credit to the great Earl Hagen for composing this He annihilates this episode. It rules. Uh, and... So Otis is really funny in this scene, uh, and he points out like he's very mad about how much he has to pay for the for the liquor. They're driving up liquor prices. Yes, right. he yeah. Says, like I'll go get it. Like Ben Sewell sell it for half the price. I'm like Ben Sewell locked up. 
They're like, well, I'll get it from Rube. And they're like, Rube's gone, bitch. Like, <laughs> we're the only game a, in town. Yeah. Yeah. Rube is such a good name. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Rube I just, Sloan is a great name. You, you know, know how hipsters, hipsters are bringing back, back like a bunch of really dumb names? names? Make Rube one of them. Like, like it's right. so good. And uh, yeah, there's a there's another parallel there in terms of like that's one of the main market main arguments for having a legalized marketplace is because it drives prices down and it puts the black market people out of business. I mean, Andy has effectively just created a monopoly. That is yeah. all. Like the the same amount of people are going to be consuming uh, consuming moonshine, which apparently is just Otis. Yeah, he's the only. <laughs> I'm he's pretty the only one who's like purchasing anything. Otis is the black market. Like, no, we see him. We see another customer, the guy who comes in to uh, to pretend that he's Muslim. What? What? He he. You did not. Oh Hold yeah, there's on. a point. Okay. Pause. <laughs> Pause in the show. Can you what? There's a guy who comes in to like purchase another. The second time we see somebody purchasing one of the jars of moonshine, he's pretending that he's Muslim. Do you have so any? Can... Do you have any memory of this, Marty? What are you talking about, Ron? No. The, the... <laughs> we need. How can we pull this up immediately? Yeah, we need to. Mohammed's birthday. <laughs> I had no idea there were so many Muslims in Mayberry. I could have sworn Lars Hansen was a Lutheran. Just tells if it wasn't for their holidays, you'd never know. Holy shit! How did they get past us? <laughs> we. I watched this episode three times. I didn't catch that. It's just it's just like a one-off line. Yeah. Happy Muhammad's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, know, you know why? Because Shit in my eyes. What the living And then he like hell? gives a little gives a little bow and like does a thing yeah. and they give a little bow back. Yeah, it's he's, like a, he's there for like 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 half a second. We don't even see like need the back of his head basically. Yeah. The, the yeah. most shocking part of this is that. The Andrew Griffith show knows what a Muslim is. I cannot believe this show had any awareness of who Muhammad is. I I literally thought that was going to be like season five. Someone would be like, you know, there's such thing as a Muslim. And Andy Griffith would be like, what's that? Like, holy shit. How did that sneak past us? I'm so mad at myself right now. Personally, my favorite is Potato Week. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh, let's, 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 let's go ahead and talk about this. So, yeah. among the uh, fake holidays that are on there, so there's National Potato Week, which Otis wants to celebrate. And I think it's like a pretty good joke because, like, potatoes maybe yeah. the thing yeah. using that, that, making the hash from. Yeah. Um, uh, the other one of the things that they say is uh, Panama Canal Day. Yes. Mm. Now, I feel like this is it's a very small but very intentional reference. So, the title of this episode, Alcohol and... I'm sorry. Yeah, Alcohol and Old Lace. Uh, it's a reference to the play-slash-movie Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, also yeah, yeah. features yeah. a pair of elderly spinsters who are up to no good. Um, in their case, it's murder. Um, <laughs> and yes. there is a character in that uh, play-slash-movie who believes that he's Teddy Roosevelt. And he spends the entire, like, movie pretend or yelling that he's digging the Panama Canal when, in fact, he's digging graves. So, when they reference Panama Canal Day, I think it's a slight, like, side reference to the namesake of that episode. 
I think you're right about that. And yeah. I think there's another parallel, though, because... Otherwise, like, there's got... no reason to say Panama Canal. Right? No, no, absolutely. No, it's, it's a, a nice, nice illusion. Yeah. Because yeah. it also plays to that trope of, like, the person pretending to be Rastafarian so that they can have cannabis as, like, a, a religious right. Is is that... That's a thing. Like, I remember, um, uh, like, like there were the, the, the weed churches that... Yeah. 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 Um, so, like, same same deal. Like, oh, I'm going to pretend that I'm Muslim. Which, in and of itself, is pretty hilarious because... Muslims can't drink. Drink, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Holy fuck, <laughs> best. Do you think that the Andy Griffith show knew they were making that joke? I, 100%, I believe they did. Like, Jack Ellison and Charles Stewart knew their shit. <laughs> oh my god, that's a nuclear bomb of a joke. <laughs> Holy uh, Christ! Honestly, that that single joke just oh. jumped up the Andy meter for me. And this is a ten. I'm fucking spoiling it. it. This is a goddamn ten, Andy's. It's so good. So fucking good. Happy Muhammad's birthday, two old Southern ladies. Oh. Holy shit. Okay, okay. Okay, so. but, but it's, it's great that there's, like, multiple scenes of, like, all the town drunks have to show up and just basically answer riddles to get booze. <laughs> like, these ladies are the sphinxes. Yes. Yeah. Like, what drinks on four legs in the morning, <laughs> two legs in the day, and three legs in the evening. I just wanted to get sauce. I have to use some Rumpelstiltskin bullshit. Like... If you get the Morrison sisters to say their name backwards, do they go back <laughs> No, it's just two for one. Uh, Alright, so, Obi, like... Obi rolls in as the deus ex machina of this show. <laughs> Obi comes in and is like, Hi! I'm gonna scream at the top of my lungs everything that the director's given me. <laughs> I mean, Obi is really the perfect way for the characters to just basically telephone information across, like, from one character to another. Because Obi is allowed everywhere, and he has no filter whatsoever. So they're like... And also, like, Ron Howard only has... Ronnie Howard only has one setting, and that's loud. Yeah. Take that Academy Award winning director, Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you spoke loudly. Fucking, <laughs> but, like, two guys could be robbing the bank, and Ron Howard would wander in and be like, I lost a race car in here. What are you doing? And they'd be like, we're robbing a bank, small child. And he'd be like, great, I'm going to go to my dad. And they'd be like, that's fine. Like, And then later they'd be like, how are we caught? Like, now I'll we, have to spend a whole 15 minutes in jail. We only spoke that, we only told that screaming child. What did we do wrong? Obi waters it as a Deus Ex Machina show. Yes. And, uh, Reveals that he saw the special flower making machine that they have down the florist shop. Uh, it's got a big copper kettle with a flame on the side and a big co- and a big plastic tube and a basin at the end. He describes it still. Hang on a second before we get into this. I want to know how did Opie think that made flowers? I want to hear just an explanation of how Opie thought the flower making machine worked. I mean. <sighs> Opie's level of intelligence is consistently so all over the fucking map. He's a he like he's illiterate, but he can do like arithmetic. He, he uh, so now he doesn't understand where flowers come from, 
which I didn't even know if you know was a thing that a child couldn't understand. He thinks you need to make flowers. No, I really, I want to know how he thought that worked. Like, what, what did he think the, the, the fire was for? Okay, so my operating theory is Opie was Morrison sistering the Morrison sisters, and as soon as their operation is busted up, Opie's going to uh, go to Otis and be like, there's a new game in town. <laughs> Spread the word. I'm in, I'm in on this. I like it. Little, I like it. Red, is, little red has the finest stuff in town because he has the only stuff in town. Okay. He's the new cartel. Um, so, after Opie has just kind of walked in and said, hey, here's the exact description of a still, bye, and here are some blueprints later. He, he, pre- he describes a still with remarkable accuracy. Yeah. He's like, yes. Like, was he in there studying? Was he making, like, a sketch of it? I don't... He, like, he comes just short of, like, saying the brands of very... Like, it has a Stutco brand 3x6 cylinder. Well, no, if the television show Psych has taught me anything, it's that having a cop for a father just gives you inherent uh, observational skills. So Yeah. yeah. Um, so they go ahead and, after that point... Oh, and... He, he comes in with a vase of flowers, and he needs to get a new vase for the flowers. Yeah. Right? Right, because this one smells funny. Also, at some Flimsy point... pretense for coming in. <laughs> yeah. Also, at some point in time, Andy makes uh, his prisoners listen to him play the guitar, which I think is cruel and unusual punishment. Like, like that's... A, he, they just sit there playing, and they roll their eyes going, how much longer do I have to deal with the hillbilly-ass shit? This I, is why he became a sheriff. Yeah. And he <laughs> plays it like a banjo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what Andy Griffin did. It was, like, it was this whole flat-picking thing. Uh, he's... Yeah, like no, he was legitimately a good bluegrass guitarist. He, he used to like stand on the street corner and play guitar, and people would walk away, and he'd be like, "Someday you will, you people will have to listen to me play. Like, I will bide my time, accumulate power, and one day you people will have nowhere to go when I want to play Wonderwall." So they let the they let the bootleggers go, and uh, they bragged. Barney bragged about like how he destroyed their distilleries. You know. With, a, with my ass! Pow! 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 He's like, he's like telling these stories of how he just went in and just slaughtered. You know. I get these poor hillbilly men are listening to the destruction of their livelihood. Like, and here's Barney going, ha ha ha! Pow! I destroyed, you're gonna die this winter! Ha, ha. They were like, you smash it! Smashed it to pieces! Yeah. Ooh, that was a bad Don Knotts. That was fine. It got but away from I me. I just wanted to point that out. So, now they've been tipped off. They go to the florists. They find the Morrison sisters, like in in flagrante, essentially. Yeah. Um, they're right in the middle of the distilling, and they're like, "Well, we caught your asses. Uh, you're the, gonna serve no time." The Morrison sisters argue that they didn't know it was illegal, and Andy Griffith says, "Okay, sure." They give this horseshit excuse that they were just selling the elixir. And it's horseshit, and Andy knows it's horseshit. Um, How, like, it, it's kind of weird, because it feels like the show created this, this this twist and had this payoff of, like, the Morrison sisters going to jail. But, like, it feels like at the very last second, like, a studio executive rolled and was like, you can't put two old ladies in handcuffs. We, we You can't do it. They just let them go free. And so they're, like, the Morrison sisters... white ladies. Yes. yes. Morrison sisters are like, wait... This is moonshine? Am I pronouncing that right? Moonshine? That we've been making this entire time and not elixir? 
people have been using this to get drunk? And they, you they need to destroy it. it. Oh my goodness. And they, they even try to pull this like, those gentlemen were lying to us when they said they had celebrations. Like, yes. Which, again, which, not how law works. And these savvy business owners have been eliminating the competition. Yes. Like, there is no way they do not know the consequences of their actions. The Morrison sisters are the most effective criminal masterminds on the show because even though they do, in fact, lose their, their moonshine operation, they get away. They're the yeah. only criminals to show up on the Andy Griffith show and and and, and they, they live to moonshine another day. In fact, that's exactly what they do. So after Barney smashes up their still, with like I, I know that we're 20 years prior to The Shining, but I really, I expected it to be like a tracking shot over the head of the axe. He's just gleefully, just maniacally smashing. Like, 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 tongue wrenched out the side of his mouth. Crazy eyes. Don Knotts is acting his fucking brains out. Like, this is the best acting Don Knotts does, has done in the show so far. Or, like, the tongue, like, his tongue is, like, screwed out of his mouth. He makes himself look like a friggin' lunatic. In like, fact, it's, it's apparently it's so just disturbing that they have to cut away. We don't see the action. The, uh, and the, the best music is playing the entire time, which is... Like, it's so fucking good. And, like, like moonshine is spraying on Andy's face like it's vit, like it's blood. Like, and he's just, really like, close flapping his like, mouth. Yeah. Take like, it in. Like, like a Dario Argento film or something. It's like, just spraying. Everywhere. And it's, it's in black and white, so there's no like like you you take for granted that it's clear, but like like just Donut swings an axe, black and white liquid sprays on someone's face. Uh, was Psycho out by this point? Psycho was 1960. Sorry. 1960. Yeah, so yeah, Psycho came out. 19, it was a year after Psycho. Yeah. So fuck, that might have been a visual like that. I mean, they may have used it as a point. Holy yeah. shit! You're saying right? Yeah, the their their still you can see is like a higher class still than the hillbillies have. Like it's emitting less vapor as you, than than the other one. Good and job, like, props department. Yeah, good yeah. job, props department. And also, like, there's a parallel there in terms of like uh, extraction. So, like, you grow cannabis, you you can sell the flower straight. You can uh, also take the flower, the trimmings of the flower. And you can extract it to get oils and, uh, you know, other other forms of things. And, like, that can be a dangerous process. Like, you're using butane. You're using explosives. In a steel, what you're using is, like, you're, you're evaporating the methanol off. Because when you just make alcohol, you, you get methanol, but methanol is poisonous. That's the part. When you see, like, the, the trope of people drinking really high-proof stuff and going blind, that's what they're drinking is methanol. Um... And so, like, a better class of still will, you know, be more sure about getting the methanol out of the moonshine. That's what makes moonshine dangerous. So they're, they're selling, like, the, the, the elite. Like yeah. The high they got the best stuff in town. Holy shit. So, so basically, every, they, they would have been, like, the, um, uh, like, like, the boutique moonshine that you normally would have to, like, go to on a special occasion. And they just, they just wiped out, like, the cheap shit. So that no one has any choice but to come for their, like, over... Not over... I guess not overpriced. They're probably selling the best stuff in town. And and the class parallel is that the folks coming in and, like, I'm going to start a big commercial cannabis business. They're the guys with money. Because the applications... Just the applications to get a license are, like, in the realm of 10 grand or 100 grand. Because they only want, like, the big businesses... Like, the the folks with money to do it right coming in and doing it. 
Um, and then they go and in turn, like when we, we saw when California got uh, went to the fully legalized system and mm-hmm. started eliminating its gray market and its black market, the folks who had licenses are now calling on like, hey, you know, this online service should only be dealing with licensed people. Yeah. Because like we want the, the state to work for us because we went through all the trouble expense in getting the license and, you know, we're just going to sort of ignore the fact that it monopolizes things. <laughs> I mean, it is... I, I don't remember who said the line of, America doesn't care what drugs you do, America cares whose drugs you do. Mm. Yeah. Like, America... Like, like the Andy Griffith show sort of encapsulates that. Like, it's, it's okay if you do uh, if you do the moonshine of, like, the affluent uh, white old ladies and not, like... Or selling their own yeah. Cocaine versus crack and mandatory minimums. Yeah. Not, not, you're not doing... The, you're not... You're, you're not partaking of the illicit substances of the dirty poor person. Like, yep. yeah. There's a lot of shit going on in this. So, it's and of course, fucking episode. of course, the Morrison sisters do no time. Right? Which is pointed out, because you can't put two old light, white ladies in handcuffs. Yeah. So the epilogue of this uh, is they claim that they're not doing this anymore. They pass by Amy on the street and they say, oh, we've got a new way of celebrating would you like to try our preserves? We just dropped a, a jar off with the barn. Which, by the way, is a dumb way to do things, right? Yeah. To just go to the cop, basically taunting them, essentially. Like, again, again, another episode where just old ladies dunk on Andy and just, and just taunt him. Old ladies are the chaos gods of Mayberry. <laughs> like, they are trickster spirits who wander the town just tormenting characters. So they give him they give him a jar of strawberry preserves or whatever. Andy comes in, looks at Barney, and says, "Hey, we got these preserves." And Barney's already just like like halfway through a jar. He turns around and again, Don nuts acting perfectly. Yeah, it's completely shit faced. He turns around. These are the best preserves I've ever had. <laughs> Which how, can you? Do that? Can you load preserves with moonshine? It's not. It's not like weed. Is it like a Jello shot? I guess. Yeah. I guess. I guess that's kind of the idea. Is he's just sitting there eating Jello shots? It is. It is very much a Mister Police. You could have saved her. I gave you all the clues. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do shit to stop us, Andy Griffith. We will kill again. What are you going to do? Arrest two old ladies? Like, you can't. It's the 1960s. We're going to just keep putting liquor in shit. It's great. Like, it is It is the first loss that Andy Griffith really faces. Where, like... Completely a... Well, not the first loss. The first legal loss. Yeah, the first The first failure to enforce his authority. He definitely takes the L on this one, though. Yeah, no. He, like... It, but the, the show never totally acknowledges it. Like, he feels like like Andy Griffith... Like, when, when the old ladies say, like... Uh, like, we didn't know it was Moonshine. Andy Griffith goes like, well, that makes sense. And the show is also like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, the show even is... though they showed us, even though they depicted everything. Like, Which... like I, I kind of wanted to produce, like, you know we can see all this, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know that we watched the last couple of scenes. Apparently not close enough, because there was a joke that flew fucking out. But... Yeah, I... <sighs> I think we gotta rewatch the whole thing and then re-record. Just, I'm really like, what else got past us other other than the Muhammad's birthday joke? Well, for one thing, so God damn it! <laughs> you know what? Though you know what? He only had to watch one episode. We have to watch all of that. So. True. True. Do 
blend together. I thought Don Knotts did karate in this one, and that's the next one. Yeah, yeah the reason I mentioned Opie bringing in the vase is because like he's got to get a new vase, and he leaves the vase behind, and it's still got a little bit of alcohol in it. Right. And there's this great tension where Otis is watching from their jail cell going, oh crap, they're gonna know. Yeah. And like... Opie has given them all the information they need. And during that entire time, they keep cutting over to Hal Smith, cutting over to Otis, who is just, like, watching, and he can't say anything. We skip the part where uh, where Barney tries to, like, shake down Otis, and Otis is just like, no. Yeah. Otis yeah. doesn't snitch. <laughs> Otis lives by There's a toe. code of honor. Yes. I'm, I will say, Otis is an extremely effective criminal. <laughs> he has an arrangement with the cops where he apparently just, like, pays no consequences for any of his crimes. He doesn't snitch. You can't get fucking information out of Otis. Like... And yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got this thing on lockdown. Otis has got a good shit going on. Yeah. And yeah, he's really good. Hal Smith is very good in this part where he's, like, just watching her shut up, shut up, kid. But he knows he can't say anything. Yeah. Like, so really effective. Good drama, honestly. Really effective drama in this he scene. really screams with his eyes. Yeah. Yes. Like, world-class eye screaming. And so he sees this jar that once held very hard liquor <laughs> left behind and like Andy and uh, Don Nuts like they're Andy and Barney are like leaning over it discussing strategy of like oh I guess we'll have to sweep the countryside for this last still well we can go over here and that and there and like Barney starts to know, I smell something odd sort of on his face also can't can't rule out the fact that since Otis is an addict he also is just looking at that little tiny bit of alcohol lustingly. True. Like, he, he is in withdrawal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and I think I think that's the end of the episode. Um, you want to you want to get this wrapped up? Do some ratings on this bad boy. Hell yeah! I have no idea how to rate this episode now. But uh, as always, so we are going uh, to rate this episode on two scales. Number one is the Andy meter, which is how good is this episode. Uh, Dan, how good is this episode? Ten. It's, it's a, a ten. ten. Yeah. No. If, you, if, if, if we all agree, it's a ten because otherwise we're fighting right now and we have to add an extra twenty minutes onto a goddamn episode. It has like let's roll through it. It has a perfect game of cat and mouse, like the breaking up of a cartel. Like uh, it has the Muhammad's birthday joke. It's the perfect episode. And this episode rules. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a ten. Uh, Russ? Yeah, Russ? Yeah, yeah, I'll doubt for 10. <laughs> okay. So, the Fife score, which yeah. is like the FIFO meter, which is how horrifying, how fucked up, how. I'm also. I'm going to say it's pretty high. It's like an 8. I, because, just because the hypocrisy of Andy pissed me off mm. so much. And like, it, it's sort of. And again, it's like one of those things where it's horrifying because it's so, like. It, it, it's so familiar. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, that, that hypocrisy sort of, like, like echoes into modern life. Yeah. See, that's precisely why I'd give it a lower score. Because, like, if, for my money, I'd say that it's, like, I'm familiar with this kind of horror. It's not particularly so, horrifying. Oh, yes. Okay. Like, I'm inundated. So, 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 on a five scale of one to ten, five. So. I'm going to say, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just mm. saying this, that would be my reaction to you're, it. You, I mean, you're... So, I'll give it a three, but you guys feel free to give it an eight. You've been, you've been <laughs> such a study of this for so long that you're sort of, like, you're numb to it. Yeah. So, we're basically, like, seeing, like, we're seeing some shit that you've, like, read about it, like, read about seeing whatever a thousand times. Uh, and, yeah. and like, we're like, oh my god, the horror of it! And you're like, yeah, this is Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, so that, that's our rating for the episode. 
just about to wrap us up. Danny, you look like you have something to say. Wait, did we actually? I think uh, did we actually say any numbers for Fife score? Oh, I said eight. You said three. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I seven. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's gonna wrap us up for the day. Uh, thank you for tuning into this episode of Breaking Mayberry. Uh, as always, if you like what we're doing, you can support us by sharing the episode, subscribing on iTunes, give us a rating, a review. Uh, that stuff is great because it helps us show up in search engines and get into the earbuds of other people who, for some reason, want to hear about the Andy Griffith Show. Um, you can follow us also online on Twitter. We are at Break Mayberry. That's Break Mayberry, not Breaking. Uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry. You can email us if you want to. Uh, BreakingMayberry at gmail.com. I don't know why, but please do. Have we gotten emails yet? Uh, not that I've seen. So feel free to send us an email and tell us, you know, whatever. Talk to us about it. We're going to just start getting spam in that thing. It'll just be like another avenue for like... like Nothing but loving pictures of Don Knotts. Oh my god. Yeah, please actually... send us your favorite pictures of Don Knotts. Photoshopped pictures of Don Knotts. Oh, absolutely. Photoshop the pictures of Don Knotts doing... You know, whatever, you will tweet them. Yeah, <laughs> no, we will just send us any pictures of you doing literally anything with a picture of Don Knotts. We'll put it up. Absolutely. You are playing a dangerous game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, I mean, if we're going to have an inbox, let's fucking use it. All right, as always, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Schneid Remarks. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm Dan Ludwig. Uh, you can find me at The Luds. Two Ds. Hey. Yeah, uh, broke my spirit. You can follow Ron Howard at Real Ron Howard. As always, hashtag tweet at Ron Howard. This time, ask Ron Howard about his skincare regimen. Just tell him his skin looks nice and just ask what he's doing to... Whatever he's doing, it's working. It is. You know, the top of his head doesn't get any sun. He's always got that hat, right? The man's what? what, 65? He's looking good. He looks 50. So ask ask Ron Howard for skincare tips. You might want to make a dress. We're going to, as a podcast, single-handedly inflate Ron Howard's ego as much as we can. So, yeah, hashtag tweet at Ron Howard so we can see them. Uh, Until next time, be sure to do all the liking, subscribing, etc. that I just said. Uh, Thank you again to Russ Smith, our special guest, for coming on today and talking with us. Uh, Happy to be on. Next episodes are going to be... Episode 18, oh, this is a fun one. Episode 18, Andy the Marriage Counselor. And episode 19, not a fun one, Mayberry on Record. So these are two very weird episodes. It's a nice speedball of Andy Griffith. (laughs) All right, so that's what we're doing next time. Until then, we will see you all down at the fishing hole.